And one of the stories I want to start off with now today is this, this story in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 46. I want to talk about this interaction between Jesus as he was speaking when his mother and his brothers arrive. It's a story that gives most of us a bit of pause, but let's read it. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. I read that second part, that thing about him going out of the house, because where were his mother and his brothers? Did not appear to be waiting outside the door when he got out there. As we look at this story, it gives us pause. And for good reason. I think the reason they included it is this was so incredibly unusual. It would be unusual today. It was probably even more shocking then. I'm speaking to you. If my mother and brothers were at the door, I would have a very difficult time continuing to speak to you if I knew they were out there. I think all of us would be the same. Well, I wonder what they're thinking. I wonder what they're going to do. I wonder what they're probably in the sun. But this, think about what Jesus was dealing with here. He's got a room full of people. We also know something about Jesus from the book of John. He said, I say nothing that my father is not saying, and I do nothing that my father's not doing. It wasn't just a reflex action. I'm going to keep them outside because I don't care about them. Now we know Jesus cared very much about his mother. From the cross and that tremendous pain, he was sorting out things with his mother and with his disciple John. This was a man who obviously cared about his mother. But he's making an uncomfortable choice about family. And each of us has to consider what that means to us. His mother and his brothers, his brothers and sisters, the word brother means brothers and sisters. He had at least two sisters and four brothers. sent word in to him because they were expecting something. They weren't just going to stand out there and wait till he finished. His family wanted something from him. Jesus was not unable to give it to them. He was unwilling to give it to them at that time. And we have to consider that with our families. Is this something, is, is this request from this person They are making a demand. They're making a withdrawal from me. Is this the time for them? 
Or are they actually going to be interfering with something that God is doing in my life right now, presently, in my life, in my ministry, in my relationships? Is this the time to focus on them? Because that's what family does. We focus on them. Why? Because we don't want our family to be upset. The ramifications of your family being upset are usually much greater than anyone else being upset. The closer people are to you, the more damage they can do to you. The more fearful we are about them, toward them. And that is one of our clues. How much do you fear telling this person no? How much do you fear even being around them? Do you start doing a bit of a dance? Do you try to make them feel good, try to make them feel supported? Families are often about control. The people that we fear are often people who we feel want to control us. It's very clear from the scripture that his mother and his brothers thought that he had lost his mind. Now, I might think if my mother and brothers showed up outside that they actually have come because they heard I was speaking and they're coming to listen. But like many of us, we would be deceived. They're, they're not actually coming because they think he's uh, such a great speaker and he, they can learn so much from him. They're coming to collect him. Well, Jesus had to know that. Maybe he knew before. Maybe he had had some interactions with them. But Capernaum, where Jesus' ministry was, where he was here by the sea, and where his mother and brothers lived in Nazareth was, I think, 10, 15 miles. His family had just walked 10, 15 miles, and we're standing outside. Now you see the story is getting even more, there's even more pressure here for Jesus to either go out to either go out to them or to say, okay, make room for them to come in. There, there is pressure for him to change, to stop what he's doing and focus on making them happy. And Jesus clearly doesn't do it. And he seems to say, Right now, I'm looking for people who want to do the will of God. I'm not going to take time for people who want to control me. He does not give in to this request. And I do want us to understand what a powerful request it is. I want to ask a question. Who, who can say that one of your, in your family of origin... One of your parents was clearly dominant. They got their way more than the other. Let me see a hands. Who, who, so a little over 50% probably would say. And who would say that that probably had a negative effect on the family dynamic or on you? So many of us. When we talk about dominance or control, who's controlling who? This is obviously a big issue in Scripture. It's actually a big issue with God. Many people think that God wants to control you. Many people say, I don't want God because I don't want anyone to control me. The irony is God doesn't want to control you. He wants you to control you. Satan, however, 
really does want to control you, and he doesn't care how it happens. He loves it if it's an addiction. He loves it if you're sick. He loves anything he can do to you to control you. God is all about freedom. And he sets up his, the way he does things, his laws, his rules, are actually to preserve your freedom so that life works for you. He doesn't want to control you. When we talk about narcissistic people, it's, it's people who want control, but there is, it's more than that. There is a narcissistic personality disorder but I can assure you all of us have narcissistic tendencies. We all tend to focus on ourselves at certain times in certain places. Our stuff, what's happening, and, and pain often really accentuates that. That if someone's in pain, their pain and their problem really wrap them up. So what, what is this narcissistic and how can, we, how can we deal with it? It's very difficult to deal with, but Jesus dealt with a lot of narcissistic people. He dealt with people who were bent on destroying him. They did everything they could to destroy him and to control him and to try to bring him under control. How did he handle it? I'll tell you a story. Uh, some time ago, we had uh, relatives come to visit, and we really, we really did not enjoy them. They were hard to. Uh, they were not kind. They were uh, demanding. And when they left, uh, they were here more than a week. We were very happy, very very relieved. And after, as time went by, though, I felt like God was saying, like, I want you to write them a letter. I want you to tell them what you see. Well, I, I didn't want to write them a letter. I didn't want, this was, but I realized that God was saying nobody ever, nobody cares enough to actually tell them. Everyone just ignores them so they don't have many friends. And it's it's not difficult to see why that happens. And so I carefully, and this the letter was it was took a long time to write. I wanted to draw them into a healthy relationship. And a healthy relationship means that when we hurt somebody, even if we didn't intend it, we're willing to hear it and we're willing to apologize for it, and try to make it right. And so I started off with things that I thought might have offended them about my house, the sleeping arrangements, the, you know, whatever it was, hoping that I, by admitting fault, they would see, oh, we can do this in a relationship. You can actually take responsibility. You can be vulnerable. You can say, I didn't mean to, but it, I think you probably were uncomfortable on that mattress. What? Whatever it, whatever it was. Well, I finally wrote the letter, uh, and it was not received well. I guess that would be a surprise to everyone. <laughs> and so my first thought was, 
I should never have written that. Oh, I knew it. I, wait, wait, wait. It wasn't my idea. I really felt that God wanted me to write that letter. Was I doing this in obedience to what God wanted? Actually, out of love, I wrote that letter. I just wasn't interested in having the letter cost me anything. I, wasn't, I didn't want the backlash. I didn't want the big mushroom cloud firestorm. Now there's all this anger. Do, we, do I take the energy to engage with this? and try to get them to understand what I'm saying, and I'm actually trying to help them, or is it time to just say, I actually said my piece. I did. I was obedient to what God said, and if they want a relationship, the door is open, although the door to my home is not open for them to stay with me. That's not, because I only want people in my home who are safe, and safe people means if I tell you this hurt me, that you say, I am so sorry, I, I didn't mean that. Let's talk about how we could work it out in a better next time. And what I want to discuss about people who have this control, this narcissistic tendency, is their, their inability to handle any message that they perceive as including shame. We would call it correction. We would call it just normal human relationships. But they can't handle it because it means something must be wrong with them and they have to maintain a perfect image. Now their perfect image just drives people away. Shame feels like death to them. It, it feels like death. I, I, and so they have to fight it and they actually not just fight it, they have to blame you for it. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your misperception. You, you should have known. You should have. And so all of this anger and vitriol comes at you. You actually had good intentions. One of the things you're looking for when you address narcissistic people is are they interested, are they willing to engage in anything that would suggest they made a mistake. And if they're not, you trying to get them to understand your point of view is wasting your time. Somehow you think, because this works with most other relationships, if I could just get you to understand why I did that, then we can get over this problem. They're never going to understand. They don't want to understand. That's the issue. The issue is that it works, life works best for them if they don't understand, if they can keep you in this box, if they can say this is who you are and therefore you're bad. You're one of the bad ones. You're one of the people that doesn't support me. It's very painful. It's very harmful. But entitlement is also a, a central portion of this. And our culture seems to be increasing in its entitlement. In this family, in this organization, in this job, in this, uh, uh, I am entitled, I do more for this family. I am more valuable than anyone else here. That's entitlement. I, people need to be supporting me. 
one of the things that you feel when you're around a narcissistic person is often you feel like you're an extension of them. And this happens in families, and many of us grew up with some, one of our parents had a narcissistic tendency, and, we, and you feel like, and this actually was said, you know, children are just, you know, little extensions of me, that essentially your children are just supposed to do what you want. They're supposed to think what you think, feel what you feel, smile when you smile, be angry and, and scared when you're angry and scared. And if we're raised in a family like that, or we married someone like that, we have a tendency also to become like that. It's, it's either we become a victim, which also has a bit of narcissism in it. It's just the victim also gets their way. They just get it in a different way. So there can be this, it's ultimately can be a codependency. Narcissistic people look for people who are going to support them, who are going to um, become codependent, which means you are excessively caretaking to the point where it actually hurts you, your physical health or your relationships. You're doing it, but you're doing such a dance, it's, it's really hurting you.